Exceptional Field Service Delivery creates, magnifies, and sustains exceptional customer experiences and brand loyalty. Welcome to the Super FM Podcast, Field Service Your Way, with me, Michael Israel. I'll lead conversations about critical issues in today's field service ecosystem with knowledgeable and experienced service management professionals. Now, let's learn something. Hello and welcome to Zuper FM, field service your way with, well, me right now. I'm Eric with an A. I am the producer on this show and I am so excited to introduce you to somebody else. You've already met Michael Israel and he's on this podcast today. He is a host of the show, but he's also given the reins over to somebody else who I've just met and is incredibly friendly. That is David Knorr. And he said, you know what? My friends call me Knorr. So from here on out, I'm calling him Knorr. Nor is the founder of the Nor Group, relationship economics advisor, educator, and executive coach. Nor, how are you? Eric, it's great to be with you. I'm doing great, thanks. Man, I'm so excited to meet you. And, and right off the bat, you told me that I was your friend. So that's, I love the way this starts. This is great. Okay, l- let's not take that too far, right? Is, can, I, can I get some of that back? Is that- <laughs> okay, long distance friend. Is that okay? Can we, can we you know, put some distance How about in acquaintance? We'll acquaintance. Start with- there we go. All right. Uh, as, uh, as long as I can still call you Nor. All right, Nor, this is the first time on the podcast, and I don't know a ton about you because, you know, we're acquaintances. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history, a little bit about you, and uh, why you're going to be co-hosting this show. I am uh, excited, elated uh, to reconnect with a longtime friend, Micro Israel. It's, it's good to be back together. We're getting the band back together. Uh, <laughs> very, very quick story for the audience. Uh, originally from Iran, came to the U.S. Uh, 1981 with 100 bucks, a suitcase. Didn't know anybody, didn't speak a word of English, mm. so I'm, I'm quintessentially living the American dream. Uh, been really blessed. 30-year uh, career so far in technology and uh, sales, marketing, much more recently private equity and, and leadership and board uh, work. And I've written a few books. And, uh, and I'm just passionate about all that. And the reason I agreed to do this with Michael and team at Zuper is really that, that not just mediocre, but that exceptional experience for every customer in various touch points. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation this season on on this podcast. Yeah, we're definitely turning the tables. For those that have heard a couple of the other podcasts, Michael has been in charge of the microphone. And now I'm going to shut up and let Nor interview Michael. Gives you an opportunity to meet Michael, the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, (laughs) uh, half the voice of this show, because now Nor is the other half. Gentlemen, take it away. Michael, great to be back together. Nor, it's a pleasure as always. That's fantastic. So uh, I want to all- say something, though. You're overly modest, if you allow me. Uh, <laughs> you've written a few books. Come on. You've written uh, a dozen, and you're working on your 13th. So uh, stop it, being it is, so modest. Well, the audience would be delighted to hear I'm not writing Harry Potter, right? I'm never going to get wealthy. <laughs> never going to get wealthy writing books. But but you're kind, and I, and I do... And, and I, for our audience, by the way, if you're thinking of writing a book, please don't. It's just I'm gonna save you. I want to save you a lot of aggravation. I tell my kids I used to have more hair, and the ones that I haven't left are turning gray at an accelerated pace. But joking aside, the books are a fantastic way from relationship economics to co-create and curve benders. They're a great way to capture common challenges across very broad spectrum of executives I'm blessed to work with. So it's been it's been a fun journey. But but I want to talk about you. So 
I'm, I'm not sure I know the answer to this question. I think my wife was asking me, what what drew you to field service management? I, I know you've been at it for a while. Give us a little glimpse into kind of what was that gravity or pull for you? Well, quite simply, I needed a job. <laughs> so, <laughs> just like I think most people start with, in a new job because they need one uh, or because they find one that uh, seems very attractive and, and they would like to be part of it. Actually, I was a very, very young man. I found myself married with two children, and I did. I needed a good job, and I needed to work at a company that was stable and that would afford me benefits, et cetera. So uh, I went to work as a young man while I was still going to school. I went to work as a night dispatcher and a parts room clerk for what was then called the IBM Field Engineering Division. And, uh, of course, everybody is familiar with IBM. So that's how I got into field service. I was actually working in a field service group from the time I was very young. And, and was, uh, like a lot of things that tend to shape our lives, was your impression that you're going to stay there for a little while and then go find a real job? <laughs> no, I thought it was a real job. And, and in fact, it, it did turn out to be a very, very real job. And it was a very good job for me for se several years. Uh, and I didn't always stay as a parts room clerk and a night dispatcher, of course. But that was a, that was a great starting point. That's fantastic. I love yeah. those. I love those uh, stepping stones that really open your eyes to a whole new industry and allow you to kind of progress through that. Well, and it did. You know, it taught me a lot about um, service, customer service, because we were interacting, of course, with the what IBM referred to at the time as customer engineers. But they were the field service technicians that went out on uh, to customer sites and worked on all the equipment, installed all the equipment. So I. Uh, I got a great exposure to the business and the ecosystem of field service and continued to learn more as time went on. You and I have known each other for a while. You know I'm a collector of fantastic stories. Is there a story in that early formative years that stayed with you and maybe shaped the leader that you've become? Yeah, I think there's uh, not. it's not just a story. It's, a, uh, it's about an individual and... Uh, uh, after I'd been to, at work for uh, working for IBM for I'd say about four or five years, I got transferred from Denver up to Seattle, and I was fortunate enough to work for a man in the uh, Pacific Northwest region uh, office for field engineering, which spanned uh, from San Francisco over to Denver all the way up through Montana and then back over to Seattle. So, pretty much a quarter of the United States. Uh, and I worked for a fellow that was the operations manager for uh, all of field service operations in that region. And, and he was a great, great mentor, and he taught me a lot about uh, being professional, about being thorough in my work, uh, about um, uh, just, you know, everything that, that uh, I've used later on in my career. He taught me an enormous amount about being clear in my writing. Uh, so I guess you could think, think of that as kind of a story, but for me it's more of uh, – uh, being fortunate enough to be hooked up with somebody that turned out to be a great mentor and a great teacher. For our audience, if you are uh, in the spring of your career in field service, uh, and by the way, uh, so you'll get used to it, I'm going to drop what I call norisms. Uh, these are just things that I've kind of grown up with and, I've, and I often reference that might be useful to you. So if you're in the spring of your career in field service, here's a norism for you. Go get the three ships. Mentorship, leadership and sponsorship because michael spent what close to four decades in this space and the fact that he still remembers this operations manager 
years later is an indication that this person had a a uh, kind of indelible imprint on, on Michael and his career. So go get mentorship, leadership, and sponsorship. It will serve you well throughout your career. So talking yeah, and about that's, that. That's yeah. great. Let me just comment on that very briefly. I think that's that's really great. And that, that I refer to that as a nor nugget, and I love your nuggets. Nuggets, nor nuggets, excuse me. Uh, but this guy was exactly that. He was a great mentor. He was a great leader, and he was a great sponsor for me for uh, – uh, other things that I did later on in my career. That's fantastic. So talking about that journey, I know you've had a front row seat. Talk about how field service management has evolved over the years. Oh my gosh. From the time that I first started, it's evolved enormously. I mean, when I first started, we barely had any any of the kinds of technologies that field service people are used to using today. So just to give you a couple of examples, I mentioned that I started work as a, uh, a night dispatcher and a parts room clerk. The way we kept track of parts, how many we had on hand, and what bin they were located in, et cetera, was in a tub file with cards, you know, punch cards. Uh, uh, and we'd have a part number at the top, and uh, there'd be uh, line items down the card that every time you took an item out of the bin, you marked one off. So if you had 12 and you took one out to give it to a technician, you marked it down to 11. And when five more came in, you pulled the tub card out and you added five more to the quantity. So really, really antiquated technology as far as, for example, inventory control is concerned. Uh, for, our audience, yeah, yeah, for our audience, yeah, for our audience, I love Michael Israel, and, and that's the only reason I can say this. I think Jesus used punch cards. <laughs> I think that it was around the same time. No, I'm kidding. I, no, but it, it, it is. I, I also cut my teeth at, at IBM, and I tell my kids I worked on System 36, System 38s, and they're like, Dad, what, what is that? I, size yeah. of a room for a what's what's fits in my backpack now and and you're right it's amazing the technology evolution yeah no kidding and i mean just as an example of uh the way dispatching was handled back then uh, the dispatchers sat around a round a, a big round table in the office that i was in in denver and there was like a big turntable in the middle and when a call came in from a customer requesting service they'd fill out a card and stick it into a slot on the turntable and uh, when the technic when a field service engineer called in and said, what's my next job? They would spin the turntable around until they found a job to assign to him. So uh, really, really old non-technology uh, methodology. And of course, today with all of the uh, technology that's available, field service management systems and artificial intelligence and augmented reality and, and uh, you know, sophisticated inventory management systems and spare parts forecasting systems, things have changed enormously. So I've, I've seen a great deal of that, uh, of those changes and the evolution of field service over the, in the length of my career. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about the whole AI ML world and all the mm -hmm. predictive analytics. Like, so mm -hmm. if a field technician knows in advance kind of either what's broken or what's likely to be broken, they can have the right parts on the truck. They can do a lot of kind of remote diagnostics with some really cool trends that are happening. So talk about mm -hmm. where do you see FSM going? What, what's, what's, what's kind of, where is it headed? Well, I think it's going to get more and more sophisticated in terms of the technologies that are available and the aids that are going to be available for the field service engineers out there. So we've already touched on a couple of them. Artificial intelligence is uh, making a huge headway in a lot of uh, uh, technical solutions that are available for, for field engineers. For example, scheduling uh, takes into account, especially, uh, let me just refer quickly to Zooper. The Zooper scheduling engine uh, uh, uses artificial intelligence capabilities to determine the 
most appropriate route and uh, and schedules for a group of technicians. Uh, the, in, the Internet of Things, of course, has been around a long time, but that's being uh, leveraged more and more with field service automation, uh, things like virtual reality, augmented reality that allow a, a remote technical person to see what an on-site technical person is, is seeing or see what a customer is seeing with a problem and actually guide the field service engineer, the technician, or the customer through a fix. Um, and I expect those kinds of things just will continue to evolve and will continue to be adopted more and more quickly. Some of them are out there, of course, but haven't been adopted uh, uh, as widely yet as other technologies. But I expect that to continue to, to, continue to evolve as well. I, I love that. And, and again, I, I'm, I've been blessed by technology. I'm a big proponent of it. And yet some organizations, Michael, you and I both know, with the aging workforce, it may be a little more challenging to uh, kind of inspire them to adopt new technologies. What have you found to be a really successful strategy for adoption of some of these new technologies, which, by the way, I don't want to feel like I'm, my job is getting threatened, right? If, I, if, if the system can do it, why do they need me, right? So how do you, how do you really promote adoption of these new technologies? Well, I think there's a couple things. Uh, one is that you referenced that some of the older folks are a little bit more resistant to the newer technologies. I think one of the ways to overcome that is to make sure that you're adopting a technology that is very user-friendly, very easy to learn, and very easy to use. So if you make the, the use of a technology that you're providing to the field something that uh, the older, tech, older, older staff and the younger staff alike can learn to use easily, then they're much more, they're much more likely to um, incorporate it into their daily activities and use it to their benefit. So I think that's one thing. Uh, and the second part of your question again, Nor, please. Yeah, it, it's, you know, adoption, right? So not just mm -hmm. introducing the technology, but really mm -hmm. embracing, you know, the adoption of it. And what have you found to be an inspiration to do that? I, I love that user-friendly, easy to learn, easy to use. Any other techniques you've seen along the way to work really well? Well, I think uh, typical change management practices are very, very important. You can't just uh, introduce a new technology and throw it out to the field uh, with a minimal amount of training and expect people to uh, adopt it and incorporate it into their daily activities on a reliable basis. Uh, so I think putting together some kind of a change management process to uh, get feedback from the field that's going to be using the technology before you even uh, roll it out educating the, the entire field about what the benefits of the technology are, what, why is it going to be good for them and good for the customers and good for the company, training them properly so that they know how to use the technology appropriately, providing support when there is a question or a problem that comes up in, uh, in the use of the technology so that they know that they can get help when it's needed and they can get help quickly, uh, rewarding people for adopting the technology and using it the way it is intended to be used, um, reinforcing the importance of the, the adoption of the technology to those that are maybe a little bit resistant. And then finally, you know, if some people are just not willing to adopt, then maybe they don't belong. So uh, I think it's a combination of all of those things. Communication. I reinforcement, and appropriate disciplinary action, so to speak, when and if that's necessary.
I feel another Nord Nugget coming. I feel another <laughs> Nord Nugget coming. Here it comes. Uh, joking aside, uh, you know, the leaders that I've interacted with, an, a, an acronym that I came up with some time ago that's just stayed with me is is PER, P-E-R. Think of it as a PER person. So any deployment needs to be seen through the lens of that individual. Mm-hmm. And if the audience thinks about three distinct phases, almost like a theater act, I think of it as before, during, and after. So before, like how well do you plan? There's a direct correlation with technology deployment in, in terms of how well it's planned, the communication that you mentioned. And mm-hmm. you know why are we doing this? And giving people a, a, a vision of how will we be better off. And by the way, that better off can't just be incrementally better. Ideally, it's exponentially better. So that's the plan. Enable, love that, right? That, that whole change management, enabling them to succeed with training, with job aids with ways that they can really embrace it and the last one for me is reinforce it right you got to reinforce it with gamification with reward system with this is how you're better off if you do this so per per might be a really good acronym to kind of think through any kind of deployment so with all this technology with all this evolution love a lot of the stuff you mentioned of where fsm is going what's missing what's missing in the industry that you believe hasn't been addressed yet well, I think what's missing today, uh, a big problem today, is lack of skills. Uh, as you mentioned earlier on, the uh, there's a lot of older generation people uh, that are retiring and are taking with them a tremendous amount of knowledge that they've accumulated over the decades. I think it's difficult for companies today to attract new talent into the field service ranks and the service technician ranks. So I think what's missing is a solution to make sure that uh, people see field service opportunities, field service jobs, service technician jobs as an opportunity for a very, very good career, as an opportunity to make reasonably good money, and in some cases as an opportunity to make outstanding money. So I think that uh, the biggest thing that I'm aware of today is that the lack of skills, the lack of ability to recruit enough talented, skilled people is a major problem in the industry of, in the industry as a whole. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I think that we need to come up with some solutions to that. And I don't pretend to have an answer for that at this point in time, but I do understand that uh, it is a need. I do understand that there's a move afoot to encourage people to consider these types of jobs that don't necessarily require a four-year degree but will still provide a very very good career and a very good income and i think there's a move afoot to which i totally support and endorse is to and that is to elevate the perception of the job and the importance of the field service profession so those are the two things that I think today are uh, missing in the, in the current environment that need to be addressed. I'm a huge Mike Rowe fan and his whole push for trades. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've worked with a metal buildings industry and they can't find enough welders. You know, there's there's yeah. you know organizations that are passing on business because they can't find enough of those service technicians to to not just the sale but service those equipment afterwards. So. Well, You're and exactly it's right. yeah, yeah, and it's 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 true that, and I think we need to reinforce it and reinforce this in society at large. 
you don't necessarily have to have a four-year degree or a master's degree to have a successful career. Uh, I think that's, that's a misconception. Certainly those things are important, but they're not important every time. And uh, I'm familiar with one company that has literally hundreds and hundreds of field service engineers that is trying desperately to recruit new field engineers to replace those that are departing and taking knowledge with them and to help grow their business. And they're actually starting in the, in the middle school level to try to educate young students in the middle school ages to make them aware that there are jobs out there like field engineering and service technicians that are very, very good careers that pay well that they should perhaps think about as they go on through high school and graduate from high school. I love that. I think that makes so much sense. It's almost like we're reinventing the apprentice program, right, to bring them in younger and teach them the way, teach them uh, you know that the, both the technical as well as the soft skills to really elevate them. So, so I knew you in your previous chapter. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. curious, what motivated you to join Anand and Rob and team at Zuper? Uh, quite simply, it was Anand, the the CEO, and uh, and the product itself. Of course, I first met Anand about a year ago when I was uh, still at the Service Council, and we did a speaking engagement. Uh, on behalf of Zuper and Anand. And so I became acquainted with Anand. And then when I had an opportunity to look for another position, uh, the first thing I did was reach out to Anand and let him know that I was available and would like to talk to him. And as I got to know him and as I got some exposure to the product, I became very, very convinced that this was a really good place to be. And that I thought, based on my experience and all the things that I've done over my career, that I could add a significant amount of value to this company and help them grow. So it was those two things that really attracted me. And I've become very, very, as I've learned the product over the last you know, two to three months, and I've learned the product in, in significant depth at this point, still have some more to learn. But I've become very impressed with the depth and the breadth of the functionality that is available in this product from a company that is still fairly young, uh, but they've done a remarkable job in building out a very feature-rich, uh, robust product, and the roadmap is even even greater. Uh, and I see Anand as a visionary and a strong leader, and I'm just really happy to have had this opportunity. Uh, other than being an international man of leisure, <laughs> what does head of field service evangelism do? Uh, tell us a little about the role. Well, it's basically a jack-of-all-trades, right? I mean, I've worked in field service for so long. We won't go into how long, but uh, it's been a while. Uh, and I've done a lot of things. I've worked, uh, I've managed field service technician organizations. I've been responsible for the finances of field service operations, for manpower planning. I've sold the software for various uh, providers. I've marketed the software. I've implemented the software. And I've also been an analyst in the field service space. So I have a broad spectrum of experience all in field service in one capacity or another. So I, I think that, uh, you know, that, that just has put me in a position where I can be of significant value and, uh, and help the organization. I don't know if I've answered your question or not. Well, actually. I just I keep I keep telling you you have a future in this whole field service business. You don't believe me, but I, no, it, it's a uh, it's a testament to Anand's vision of you know bring credible people who've they're not they're not giving you book reports. They've been there and they've done it, yeah. and they know how to navigate their way through challenges and opportunities. And and I think 
you know, when you first told me about it, I was like, this is a perfect job for someone of your experience and background. And so kudos to, to the team for, for uh, the opportunity to interact with you this way. All right, we're going to switch gears. We sure. want to get to know Michael on a, on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a big believer that we're all products of the advice we take. So I want to know, uh, and I think the audience would benefit from, uh, who, who have been some of the mentors along the way? Who have been some, give us a glimpse into two or three individuals. I mean, you mentioned the operations manager at, at IBM, Pacific Northwest. Who have been some of those mentors along the way who have shaped you? Well, I have to go back to him uh, as, as the number one mentor. I worked for him for a few years. He uh, was um, demanding, extraordinarily demanding very very critical but the nice thing about his criticism was that when he gave you when he criticized you he did it in such a manner that you didn't feel demeaned you didn't feel diminished uh you just felt like okay i've learned something here and i thought that was very very important and it was certainly a a great lesson in my career he also taught me something about a concept that uh, I believe in strongly, a concept called completed staff work. And completed staff work basically means thinking ahead, anticipating what the person, the customer, or your boss, or your colleague is going to need next, and providing them with that before they even have to ask. And I think that's a very, very valuable uh, attribute, and it's something that I always keep in mind, and I've always tried to... uh, instill into people that have worked for me. So I, I would say he's my number one mentor and the person that I remember most along my career. And then there's another fellow that uh, um, helped me quite a bit. When I first started with IBM, as a very, very young man. Uh, he was the uh, manager of the branch office that I worked at, and he was, he was um, very, very good at helping me learn, very good at helping me understand my role, very good at helping me interact with other pe- with the other people in the organization and basically helping me change from a young boy to a young man and become uh, you know quite a bit more mature and significantly more responsible so those are a couple of th- a couple of people that I can think of in my career uh, outside of job the person that I've admired the most in in I guess the current era is uh, John Kennedy um, and I've always been a huge fan of his, even at a, even as a young man. I've read a tremendous amount about him, and I think it's just a tragedy that he was not uh, with us for much, much longer. So let's stay on that theme. I've always mm-hmm. believed if I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have been a lot less of a knucklehead and would have made a lot fewer mistakes in my life. What, what one or two pieces of advice would you give Michael of 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Boy, that's a great question. You know, if I could, it's, it comes back to what you said, and that is, gee, I wish I knew then what I know now. <laughs> so, uh, but I don't know how to make that happen. I think that uh, the advice I would give is, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, even, you know, don't be quite so selfish. Think of others a little bit more. That's that's the advice I would give Michael of thirty years ago. Mm. So, how about what do you talk about? Some qualities you greatly value in in a person you you meet a lot of field service leaders you meet a lot of field service technicians what what really stands out for you in, in these individuals that you meet honesty integrity 
the ability to speak the truth uh, and to do so in a way that is not, as I used these terms previously, not demeaning, not diminishing, uh, but still maintains an air of respect for the person that you're talking with. Uh, and honesty plays into that. I think as a manager, it's really important, just as an example, to be honest with your employees and let them know when, they're, when, they're, when they've goofed up, when they're failing. But also help them understand that failure is not, uh, is not a death sentence. Failure is an opportunity to learn. So I think honesty in business, honesty with your employees, and honesty in your personal relationships is the thing that I value the most. For our audience, here's another Nor Nugget for you. I can't take credit for this. I picked it up from um, a fantastic you know, CEO. Gary Ridge is the now retiring CEO of the WD-40 organization. Mm -hmm. And he often talks about, we don't fail, we have learning moments. And if you build a culture, a team, a culture, an environment that genuinely believes to fail is to, to be human, right? It's not that we, we don't fail, it's how do we learn from those? And as Michael mentioned, how do we move forward with those, those learning moments become incredibly valuable in every individual's personal and professional growth. So, so Michael, switch gears from work. What do you do for fun? What, 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 do, you do? what do you do when you're not working? Well, uh, I, I read a lot. Uh, I used to ski a lot when I lived in Colorado, but I don't live there anymore. I live in Las Vegas, and as people might imagine, it's a little bit hard to ski in Las Vegas. Uh, although, interestingly enough, there is a ski area only 45 minutes away. It's very, very small. But skiing used to be a passion of mine when I was in Colorado. But when we moved to Vegas, uh, that, that kind of went away. Uh, I read a lot. I love to read, and uh, I think my biggest passion is you know trying to learn something new every day. And uh, reading certainly helps accomplish that. Uh, you, you can't throw that out there without me asking. Okay, you got to share some of your favorite, other than relationship economics, co-creating curve vendors. Uh, well, those are, what are yeah, some? Yeah, the, <laughs> wait, yeah, after the top twelve, I mean, I can oh, tell they, you my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite books? Share with our audience what what kind of what do you gravitate toward? Well, I can tell you with certainty that my favorite book ever of all time is uh, Les Misérables, mm -hmm. um, and I think. You know, I think that actually is, in my opinion, the greatest book that's ever been written. Uh, so behind that, I love books by uh, John Steinbeck. Uh, my favorite Steinbeck novel is uh, The Grapes of Wrath. And uh, my other favorite author was um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And I loved uh, not only 100 Years of Solitude, but also Love in the Time of Cholera. Is a, it, Love in the Time of Cholera is just a phenomenal, phenomenal book for anyone that's never read it. Uh, so, and then I have other top authors too. I, I mean, I love some of Stephen King's stuff, especially The Shining and The Stand. Uh, so those are some of my favorites, but I continue to read and uh, I love to read. As we uh, co-host these podcast series uh, over the next year together, what are you most looking forward to? What are you most excited about? Well, we're going to be interviewing some, some really interesting people. We will be interviewing uh, people that are customers, of course, of, of Zuper and people that use the product. We will also be interviewing people that are not customers of Zuper and, in fact, use other products. But they will be people that are experienced field service executives, have a great deal of insight into current field service operations, and even perhaps more importantly, where the future of field service is. So I'm really excited to be interviewing not only customers, but luminaries, field service luminaries as well. 
likewise, as uh, you and I know each other and we've, we've kind of uh, done this journey before, I'm in awe of, uh, you know, a number of these field service executives where I feel like, Michael, their best day is when nothing goes wrong. But, but their ability to keep calm and cool and collected and just kind of navigate their teams, I mean, from this global pandemic to now vaccine policies and on and on and on, just that steadfast leadership is just admirable in such a big way. And I think critical to every organization. For our audience, uh, again, I wrote in Relationship Economics, I believe the relationship with every customer begins after the sale. So if you think yep. of every organization is promising value, promising impact until that customer buys, field service, customer service, customer experience brings that value to fruition. So after they buy is really when the relationship starts. And by the way, number one indicator of whether they'll buy more, so whether you get a chance to deepen that relationship and they'll renew their service agreements, they'll buy more from you, you'll gain more mind share, wallet share, depending on that that NPS, depending on that experience that they have with your field service organization. So Michael, I'm looking forward to this. I wanna give you a final comment, nugget of wisdom for our, for our audience. Sure, I'll just pick up where you left off with your last comment. I, I just could not agree more with you. I think that service is extraordinarily important in uh, building a long-lasting relationship with a customer. It's extraordinarily important in growing your customer base because satisfied happy customers will give positive referrals which will result in new business satisfied happy customers as you mentioned will continue to spend money with your organization service is the great differentiator uh, I don't buy a product based upon the product alone I buy a product based upon the service that I'm going to receive and I'll repeat by or not and that's important or not based upon the, the service that I receive or don't. So I'm completely in support of what you just said, Nor. For our audience, if you join us late, you've been listening to Michael Israel, head of field service evangelism at Zuper. He's my co-host on the Zuper FM podcast, Field Service Your Way. We hope you'll listen on a regular basis. We'd love to hear from you on topics, guests, that you believe would add value to wherever and however you consume podcasts. We believe podcasts are the new newsletter, and our goal is always to add value, and we're grateful for the gift of your time. I would encourage you to also check out zooper.co is the website where you can learn a great deal more about what they bring to field service organizations. On behalf of Michael, I'm David Knorr. I'm your co-host. I'm CEO of the Knorr Group. I'm an advisor, educator, executive coach. Eric, I'm going to turn it back over to you to bring us home. All right. I'm so excited to do that because I have gotten so many Nor nuggets out of this uh, out of this podcast. Now we need to find something for Michael, Michael Marbles or something. Uh, you guys can come up with something much better than Michael's Marbles. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, doing this, hosting this podcast. It's great information for every listener. And, of course, our last thank you goes to the listener. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Zuper FM Field Service Your Way with Michael Israel and David Nor. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the guys come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Super FM, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Super FM, field service your way. 
insightful discussions and advice that help you position your field service operations as a powerful force in building enduring customer loyalty. And remember this, when you deliver excellent service to your customers, you're also facilitating their ability to provide superior service to their customers, which strengthens brand loyalty among their customer base as well. Thanks again. Please join us next time.